0: Hello and welcome to Coffee Meet with Algamy Consulting. With me, your host, Chris New. Today's podcast is the fifth in a series of podcasts titled New World Under Construction, aimed at providing some insight from key players of the wealth and asset management industry and what it means to run and operate an investment management business as the industry looks to refocus and adapt to a post-COVID world. For the theme of this podcast, we are revisiting innovation in the wealth and asset management industry. In previous podcasts on innovation, we have discussed the impact of the implementation various technologies on the WAM organizations and competitive landscape and how this could impact the future investment industry. Today you'll be hearing from someone whose philosophy comes from the heart of big tech, perhaps surprisingly won't be talking about how technology impacts innovation but how values are more important in putting us on the path to innovation. I'm very lucky to be joined over Zoom by innovator, investor and former senior product director at Google, Alex Gourley. Welcome Alex.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Alex, with his wife Pippa, is also founder of Zero Carbon Capital, an EIS fund looking to address climate change through deep science, hard tech innovation. Welcome, Alex. We normally start with a couple of minute introduction about who you are. So I gave some idea that you've come via Silicon Valley and Google, but perhaps if you could give us an elevator pitch on your path from the UK the Silicon Valley and back again.
1: Yeah, for sure. So as you mentioned, I'm, I'm currently director at Zero Carbon Capital. We're investing in these kind of deep tech solutions for the climate challenge. Been doing that for a couple of years. And immediately prior to that, I spent 14 years at Google, primarily in the product and engineering space. I actually started in the London office in 2006, and moved to Silicon Valley in 2009. And through those first few years was kind of working as a product manager in the ads business. And so I learned a lot about the way that Google works there. And then I spent about five years working in the, the G Suite, what is now Workspace product area, eventually leading product for Gmail, Google Calendar, Google Tasks, and a few other products in that space which was a really amazing ride. It was the time when kind of mobile and AI was really emerging, and there was a real opportunity to change the way that those apps helped us get everything done. And then I spent the final three years of my life at Google starting and running uh, an incubator to set up new projects at Google called Area 120, where we started about 60 new projects over a a three-year period with the goal to building things that weren't part of Google's core strategy, but that might form the next Gmail in you know, five or six or seven years time.
0: Wow, you've done the full gamut of Google products there and you must know the organisation inside out and what drives it.
1: Yeah, the one thing I've never worked on at Google is Google Search, which, okay. is, which is obviously a pretty big oversight, but I've worked on lots of other areas uh, related to it.
0: And at the time, could you see the success that Google will become, as you said, pre-mobile smartphones? <laughs> so
1: my joining story is actually sort of uh fun is in that i actually wasn't that enamored by the idea of search engines i thought search engines were fine people were going to type searches in boxes that was all good i only actually became interested in google when in the years like 2004 they released gmail 2005 kind of google earth and they started producing these products and i was just amazed by what could be done all of a sudden and why this organization that built a search engine was doing them. And so for me, I don't think I had any real prescience that they were going to become one of the largest organizations in the world. I was just excited about all of the things that they seemed to be doing. And they seemed to just have this limitless ambition, which was what really turned me on to them
0: excellent well that was a very good call
1: yeah I I got lucky
0: I think you may have listened to one of our podcasts before I normally have a fun question teaser question for the end which used to be based around coffee but I've persuaded the editor I can move away from that because we ran out of coffee questions as and I was thinking as you've recently I guess in the last couple of years we swapped life on the west coast for life on the south coast of the UK I'd be interested to know what you think is a more conducive environment for innovation is it walking the dogs on a windy beach followed by fish and chips out of paper or is it a surf In the Pacific, followed by a super skinny macchiato latte, (laughs) paolo Alto High Street, and why? I'll leave that one with you. While you're simultaneously talking about uh, innovation, we're going to look through the lens of value-driven investments driving innovation uh, and not technology. So perhaps maybe you can explain to our listeners how you came to this through Gmail and Calendar and those various sort of products.
1: Yeah. I I think it's interesting, when I joined Google, I kind of came in with this assumption that the innovation is driven by all of the kind of deep technical work that is done and the application of that technology. And there's certainly a huge amount of truth in that. Without that, Google wouldn't be able to do all of the things that it does. (laughs) but what I realized over the years is what was really driving what people externally perceived as the innovation, which I think is the innovation, was the ways in which Google chose to direct that energy. That, it turned out, was really driven by a set of values that Google had. One of the things that people often And even I think me back in 2006 wonder is Google is a search engine. It's building a search engine. Why does it start building all of these other products? What does building an email client have to do with building a search engine? I think if you're a search engine company and you ask your customers what you can do for them, They will tell you all of the ways in which you can improve your search engine. And that's great. And you should definitely do that. But the other thing that you can do is you can just ask them about problems that they have within their lives. You can try and understand the gamut of things that they're trying to achieve. And then you can look at the skills that you have and try and say, okay, how can we bring those to bear To solve some of those other problems? Are are we really well suited towards doing that? And I think Google was very good at doing that. So back in 2004, no Google user was asking Google for an email program, but all Google users were suffering using their existing email programs, right? So back in 2004, I was using, you know, Yahoo Mail, and I had six megabytes of available storage. And I spent most of my life deleting messages to try and receive new messages. And being able to use that value of really focusing on the user, which is what kind of Google's core value at that time, and I think going forward has always been, enabled them to see there was a problem there and there was this really interesting computer science solution that was something that Google could build. and So they go and build that. And I just saw that applied again and again, which is this idea of what is the change that we want to make in the world? What is the change that our users want to see in the world? And what can we do to support that?
0: Interesting. Is there a difference between as a sort of Silicon Valley tourist, you go around Stanford University and the, the design thinking school there and mm-hmm. you're explained that it's all about the user? switch around your product development to thinking about what the user wants is the value then just you focus on the user or is there more to that value than just saying okay we're going to design a product with the user in mind rather than just what our product teams in the laboratory think is great Uh, be that a a technical product or an investment
1: product i mean that is one part uh, of the thinking and i think it's always really important to realize that as a company you're in this journey with your customers and your job is to do work for your customers. And I think was really powerful from a values and culture perspective was not just saying that, but also giving, first of all, one permission to more broadly understand the set of problems that you might solve together with your customers as an organization, being very open to that. And then also as an organization, being very transparent and clear about what you're really good at, and what change you want to see in the world. And so for Google, there was a really strong belief that technology could be a huge enabler for people it could enable them to be better versions of themselves and it could enable them to be more efficient and effective and Mm. that was really the drive and everybody understood that and so that common understanding lets you ask the right questions of your users to understand the problems that they have that you might be able to solve and it gives you the confidence that when you identify one of those things the organization will accept it as a Path of innovation because I think that you see a lot is is people running up into this. I found this great idea, but the organisation doesn't want to accept it, and that often comes from that missing articulation of what types of innovation the organisation values, what direction is it going in, and Google I think supercharged that by building that into all of its processes. So it looked for people to hire who shared those values and it was very very specific about hiring people who, who did that so that it could then let them loose on these problems without worrying that lots of kind of stuff that didn't fit was going to appear so from the outside often i think people would look into google and, and they see all of these different products emerge and it wouldn't make sense to them yeah but inside google all of those things made sense perfectly um, because there was this shared understanding of the problems that we were trying to solve and what we, we cared deeply about.
0: The point you said about accepting innovation is that it will be interesting to people in the more traditional wealth and asset management industry and in that very much strategy is top-down, while there are some very talented people within that organisation, as opposed to this, as you've described it, bottom-up innovation, bringing ideas to the table and actually expecting those to perhaps come to fruition or at least have some level of acceptance up to a point that you see your ideas at least explored. So I think that is something that perhaps the wham industry needs to evolve and develop
1: to change that culture. I think within that, there is this, real temptation to want to make leaps there and just declare that we are now a bottom-up organization or declare that we have an innovation forum where Anyone can bring an innovative idea and there's a path to kind of moving it on. And those are those are good steps. But if you really want to overcome this, I think that strategy that is coming top down, and that's fine for that to come top down. And actually, I think it's relatively important that strategy and values is somewhat top down. It needs to be defined, right? It needs to be chosen by the organization. But the strategy needs to come alongside a set of kind of values that relate to the sort of change that you want to see in the world, the sort of company that you want to be. Because then if you put those two things together, you give people a really comfortable space in which they can focus their innovative ideas and their innovative energy, knowing that they're heading in the right direction. When I talk about values here, I think values has been a little hijacked over the years. And I don't mean the sort of values that what I call kind of ticket to the game values, like integrity and hard work. Those are values really that every organization should aspire to, the values that make your organization unique. I mean, the values that your organization believes in, that maybe not everybody else believes in but that drive your business strategy and then help all of your company to be able to direct their innovation energy. Very
0: interesting. We can look now at zero carbon capital and how you've got all this experience at Google, you've understood values driven innovation. How are you taking that into the early stage investment world? And how does that translate to the investment process? Very clearly, it's about net zero carbon. So clearly, One of the values is to reduce CO2 and and impact climate change. But beyond that, in that process, what are your values? Are they sort of copy paste to Google or have you set up something unique that
1: drives your business? For us, when we were starting to think about zero carbon capital and generally our investing in this space, our lens was we believe that there is a future in which we use technology not just to overcome these challenges of climate change, but to transform huge parts of our economy and our society into fairer, healthier and more successful versions of themselves, right, of ourselves. The, there is a belief on our part that this transition is not only critical, you know, it needs to happen, there is this emergency that we need to address, but that also it's this huge opportunity. And that's really the value that drives us, which is looking at this not just as, okay, we have to do A, B, and C, but doing A, B, and C And D, E and F will lead to these huge, enormous value creation opportunities for society. And there are ways in which we'll be able to do that, where it'll be shared more evenly, where the, the, the benefits of it are more than just financial. If you transition from petrol cars to electric cars, A, cars get better. Like I have an electric car, they're great, they're quiet, they don't make a lot of smell, they accelerate really well, they're comfy, all these good things they just could do with being a lot cheaper, which we're working on. But also they're not just beneficial to me as the owner of that electric vehicle, they're beneficial to everyone who's using the roads, whether it be pedestrians or bicyclists or other drivers where air quality massively improves. We have a positive impact on climate change. We start to build new industries that are supplying the things that, these electric cars need and that to us represents this great opportunity
0: we've talked prior to going on to this podcast a, a label we want to avoid is impact in investing where we consider this as maybe altruistic or there's a trade-off in terms of your investing for a social outcome perhaps rather than necessarily a return so maybe you can give us an example of one of your investments if, if it's they're not too confidential because there could be lots of funds who are saying, right, yeah, this is a great opportunity. I can make a lot of money because Elon Musk needs more batteries. And therefore this innovation, or battery life and this innovation will get me there. That extra piece you're talking about, a fairer and healthier maybe distribution of the benefits of that hard tech innovation, how that overcomes impact investing. That's about two questions in there, really.
1: But I mean, let's start with impact investing. I would also broaden this out to just generally kind of ESG screening as well. My view on that is that both of those things are really valuable improvements to the way that we do things today it is important for us to consider what are the other impacts of the investments that we're making. And so I think it's really good that we're doing that. At the same time, I think they often introduce this notion that you're making a trade-off between these things. You're choosing to have double bottom line accounting of this, where you're taking into account, because I'm getting this much societal benefit, maybe I'll accept a little bit less monetary return. Our take on this world is actually, if you have a theory for how a change is going to create massive value in society, then history tells us that will create massive value for investors. I don't think about what we're doing as impact investing. I think about it as values-based investing. We are making the assertion that we believe that solving these climate change challenges and building this kind of new technological world is going to be incredibly valuable to society. And because it is incredibly valuable to society, it is going to generate amazing returns for the investors in it. It's a subtly different lens, but I think it's an important one for us because it means we're 100% aligned when we look at a company as to if it aligns with the problem we're trying to solve in the world, it aligns with the return that we're trying to deliver to our investors.
0: And I guess in terms of producing more innovation, that is a more motivating factor than the percentage return on investment.
1: It's not just that it's motivating. And I think people often think about it as motivating. It absolutely is. You know, I have children. I want them to grow up in a world which is not ravaged by all of the things that will occur if we don't address climate change. But it's also constraining. I think one of the real benefits of values is that they should constrain the way that you think. Because those constraints will enable you to focus your innovative energies, focus your learning, as an individual, because the more the better you'll be able to innovate in a space. Things like just having a financial return ultimately is paralyzing a little bit, I think, as an investor, because how do you know where to go? How do you know where to become an expert, where to direct your energies to try and find or generate that innovation? Whereas having a set of values that drives that enables you to do that and know that if you do that, you are generating value for your investors because they are also on that journey with you. And they have bought into that idea that if you solve this problem, it's kind of a a version of that focus on the users and all else will follow. It's not focus on the users in this case, it's like focus on this problem and everything else will follow if you solve this. And so it's knowing for your organization what that is. And when I say knowing for your organization, I mean knowing for your organization and your customers. In our world, that's our investors. And so having investors who are values aligned with you helps you all focus on solving that same problem. I think that sometimes gets lost uh, in the investment
0: industry, especially uh, with short-term investment horizons. And it's really tough.
1: And being values-driven should not feel easy.
0: This brings us on to what I think you've described as a paradigm shift, which I think is fascinating as well in terms of where that takes us with innovation in the way that I think previously mentioned that capitalism is, in, at least in the West and democratic world, is viewed post-war as a way to bring democracy to the world. And I think that's maybe been lost over the last 10 or 20 years as to why people have this absolute belief in capitalism, because it was seen as a good by society. You bring mm-hmm. capitalism, you bring democracy, you bring uh, well-being and you, bring, you take people out of poverty. And your views, maybe there's a paradigm shift to values which take us away from this sort of pure capitalism.
1: The best companies, the best investors, the best small businesses have always been pretty values driven. Capitalism works best in conjunction with those values because it helps you to direct your energies. And then capitalism is a really great mechanism for measuring the value that you're creating with that energy. When we are analyzing a company, we are always trying to draw a bright line between the impact that they're going to have on climate change and the value that is going to create. And we use the models of capitalism, we use the models of markets and understanding of buying behavior and the way that distribution might occur and all of those things to draw that bright line. So it's actually incredibly important, I think, to have that mechanism. But the two just need to go hand in hand. And, and in history, those things have gone hand in hand. If you go back 30 or 40 years the idea of globalization was not a kind of a meme that was just understood in the world Mm -hmm. there were a small number of people who thought that enormous value would be created through globalization and those people invested in that and they actually created a ton of value for the world that lifted lots of people out of poverty brought new industries to bear brought new things that increased people's quality of life, health, and all of those things. And and at one time, that was a values-driven investment uh, yes. Now it's a value that we kind of all share. It's almost a ticket to the table value. But I think the interesting question is, okay, so given that, what do you replace it with? And I think that's maybe what we haven't been as good at is, is making sure that as those things have moved from being stuff that can direct our energies, what comes up behind them to replace that? And you're starting to see a lot of that come through in this impact and ESG world. I'd like to see them incorporated in more of this kind of values driven way.
0: Definitely. And I uh, you go. I think I agree with that appetite. I think as we're getting towards the end of this, this podcast, I thought perhaps you're able to bring some of this together for listeners who are sitting in more traditional asset management organisations and how they're thinking, okay, Alex is sitting in, in the zero carbon capital. Where he gets to make all the rules and incorporate values driven investment into his organisation. And while many of them are in senior positions, how, with your experience from working in a large corporation, can they bring some of that innovation into their organisation through this values-driven ethos and philosophy? Any sort of life, I guess, sort of hacks, as you would uh,
1: say, in terms of Uh, teams or their organization? It's ultimately a really hard job to establish and then evangelize those values as a company. And if you haven't done that yet, there's a lot of work ahead of you to do it. The good ways to get started are to talk to your customers and to talk to your employees, not just about what The jobs that you do for them or that they do for you right now, but about what's important to them in their life. You can take that and you can think about the map of the jobs that you can do with the skills that you have as an organization and how you feel about these things. And there's a lot of feeling in it this isn't something that you can do in a spreadsheet, particularly, mm. you can gather the information, but then in the end, you have to look at all of those things and say, is this going to help us work as an organization? Are we going to feel great about it as we do it? Are we going to be doing important jobs for our customers as we move forward? But I think it, it starts with that slightly more expansive discussion with your customers and your staff about what's important to them. Maybe also without getting too mystical about it, that discussion with yourself as well. And then you, can start to build that up. And it is a process. It isn't something that you can solve immediately, but you can take small steps in it. And in each of those steps, you can start to understand more about how you might want to direct your work going forward.
0: I think that can be a great food for thought for our listeners to spend time over Christmas, I think take some time out and reflect would be a very good starting point so that's brilliant you may remember i said your question yeah. at the beginning of the podcast west coast versus versus south coast which is the most uh, innovative environment and,
1: and why one of the things that i have really loved about moving from the west coast of the u.s to the south coast of england is that it's actually incredibly difficult to compare the lives that i had there and here yeah. because there's very little overlap in what the two places feel like what types of people you meet and that's great actually that's helped the transition a lot because you don't do the the comparison. I, I think the reality for me, though, is that both of those places are great because you're in amongst different groups of people. And for me, innovation is all about being in amongst groups of people who share sets of values, maybe have some slightly different ones on the edge, but have different perspectives on how to solve problems. And I see that in both places, different problems, different people, different values. But for me, whether it's, walk on the beach in San Francisco or a walk on the beach in Emsworth, I meet people, they inspire me, that gets me thinking about things, that sparks the innovation. So it, I know it's a bit of a cop-out answer, but well, both of them are great. No,
0: I think for listeners there's no excuse for not innovating, there you go, you've brought... Silicon Valley positivity to the South Coast so I think um, I think that's a great thing
1: well the key thing is that it, it's not about the geography it's about the people
0: yeah absolutely so head down to the South Coast <laughs> if you want some of that Alex thank you for taking time out today and your wonderful insights it's really been uh, fascinating to listen I think Alchemy Consulting will be taking some of that as well to reflect on how we approach things in terms of values driven innovation so thank you very much thank you Chris so I hope you've enjoyed this conversation what's well, been uh, positive discussion on the outlook for innovation for the sector, the industry, and hopefully something you can take back to your workplace in 2021. We look forward to grabbing another cup of coffee with Algamy Consulting with you all in the next in our series of podcasts on the theme of new world under construction in the wealth and asset management industry. If you want to discuss this podcast further with us, any questions, or would you like to take part in the next in our series of new world under construction, please get in touch with us through info at algamy-consulting.com or via LinkedIn Alchemy Consulting.